hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. I'm pregnant. Two words that should rarely be a surprise to us in the queer community, unless for some of us there's a mistake or a miracle at work. We are fortunate enough the vast majority of the time to be able to plan and create our families. Is this something you're thinking about? If so, this podcast is for you. This week on Queer Money, we talk international surrogacy with a father who did it. Let's see what advice he has and tips that he can help you with planning your perfect family. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. Okay, let's see if this card goes through for that $8,000 drink. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody wants to be a part of the in-crowd. Everybody wants to to look good. My my decision was, I'm not a victim. I'm not going to stay and work someplace where this is a problem. Normally, we don't drink on queer money, but because we're talking about a subject that David is rather vanilla on... Grab a glass of wine, because you're listening to Queer Money with the Debt Free Guys. This is the only show helping our community do more and be more by talking about money from the queer perspective. Welcome back to another episode of Queer Money. We're really excited to share with you another great episode. This time we're focusing a little bit on family planning and how that has an impact on you, on us, and our community and various ways that individuals are doing this. As we've mentioned in the past, we like to share stories of individuals who are doing things that uh, provide us with some insight as to how we can learn from not only their example, uh, but uh, how they are doing things successfully or maybe some of the mistakes that they've made. So we have uh, an individual with us this week who has gone through the family planning process. Uh, and Adrian is here with us from Israel and he Hello. and his partner uh, have gone through the surg- surrogacy process. So let's go ahead and meet our guest. Yes, so uh, Adrian, would you mind introducing yourself, please, and giving us a little bit of background? Yeah, hi there. Uh, I'm Adrian uh, from Tel Aviv here in Israel. Uh, I, I'm i married to an Israeli guy, and we have a child, Tommy. He's about five years old now. Uh, and we had him through surrogacy, like you said. Now, I used to be an actor, like I just t- told you. Um, uh, but I work in marketing these days and my husband is an architect. Uh, we've been together for 17 years, I think, uh, memory serves me well. Uh, and, uh, we met in London where we used to live. Uh, and then we got married in 2007 or 2008, I think. And where did you get married? We got married in Europe. Yeah. We did. Okay. Okay. And is um is uh, same-sex marriage recognized in Israel? It is recognized, but it's not possible to do it here. So as oh. long as you're uh, you're getting married in a country where it is uh, nationally recognized, like federally, I suppose you would say in the United States, mm-hmm. uh, which now the United States is as well, then yeah. Israel would say yes, um, it's fine. Uh, it, it used to be like American marriages weren't recognized because they were legislated on a state-by-state state basis as far as I understand. So, yes, yeah. gotcha. Uh, but European marriages were fine. They always were. Sure. Nice. Sure. So what's, um, what's I've, you know, I've, I've heard great and exciting things about life in Israel. So can you describe what life is like in Israel, especially for a, a gay family? I can't. 
uh, because I live in Tel, Tel Aviv, which is yeah. like any big city, it's, it's, a, it's a story in its own. So Israel, of course, is a very complicated country. You know, you see it on the news every night almost. So people have a certain idea about it. So there's, uh, there's lots of traditional elements in this part of the world. Uh, I won't, you know, won't deny that. Uh, but Tel Aviv is a very happening city. Uh, on the Mediterranean, you know, 24 hours a day, you know, big startups are here. It's very high tech is big here. Um, and a very international scene. Uh, the, the gay pride here, for instance, which I actually didn't go to this year for some reason, uh, but it attracts tourists from all over the world now. It's, it's crazy. So, so it's very liberal in Tel Aviv. Uh, outside, I really can't say because we live in the bubble, as they say. Yeah, yeah. we've actually had some friends who were in Tel Aviv for um, gay pride this summer. All right. Um, so, yeah, they had a good time. And so to give some context, um, David and I are part of a, a personal finance community here in um, the United States called FinCon. And we met Adrian through one of our personal finance friends, uh, Michelle Jackson, um, who has the Shop My Closet Project uh, pod, uh, website. And then she also has Girl Gone Frugal podcast, which we appeared as a guest on her show. Um, is it September or October? Mm, um, a little while ago. So um, she recommended that uh, we have Adrian on our show to talk about family planning and what international adoption looked like outside the United States to give some context to our audience who are uh, just diving into the family planning process now, now that same-sex marriage is you know, a little over a, a year old. Yeah. So um, to that point, can you provide us some context as to when you and SF decided to have a child or look into having children and what that whole thought process was? I think it was about 2006, uh, about 10 years ago by now, uh, when we first started thinking about it. Uh, we were still living in London in those days. Uh, and I think automatically we turned to adoption because that's what we thought we could do. Um, and we actually met up with a few uh, agencies, uh, charities in the, in, in the UK, uh, and got quite a bit of information. Now. Then, funny enough, um, a friend of ours in Tel Aviv was looking to have a baby, uh, a fetal friend, and she was looking for a dad. Uh, so after many conversations, we decided to pursue that. We thought it was a wonderful idea. Uh, we tried that for two years to become co-parents, effectively. That, that's what you would call it, I suppose. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't successful, uh, you know. It's a natural process. It can work or it doesn't, and it didn't in this case. It's very hard for us, but we decided to, uh, to part ways, at least, you know, not the friendship, but uh, the that idea of having a child together. And then we got, I don't know, we sort of resigned ourselves to the idea of, you know, not having children. Um, the idea of surrogacy was so alien to us. It was like, I don't know, like we used to have, these civics classes uh, back in high school where you talk about um, all these sort of medical advances, like in the future, you know, do we, you know uh, there's abortion, there's euthanasia, and then there's people having children in a test tube. <laughs> it just feels really sort of, I don't know, futuristic and cold, and, and it, that wasn't us. You know, we were very emotional people, so we wanted to, be, to have an, a process where we were involved, etc., but still, you know, we wanted to have a child, so we, we started to investigate. We spoke to a few people who, who did it. Uh, 
we spoke to agencies, uh, and this was back in, I don't know, 2010, 2011. Um, and then we found a good way. Um, that's, you know, that's how we got to surrogacy. We wanted to do it ourselves. Yeah, we, we went without agency. Uh, that's what... Yeah, do you mind? Do you mind if I ask what was the um, the emotional draw to wanting to have children? I, I, you know, I think a lot of people automatically assume that most gay men don't want to have children, and we are starting to see more gay men decide to have children. It seems, at least here in the United States, it's a little bit more common for lesbian couples to want to have children. Uh, right. But what what was the emotional draw? for you and, is it Asaf? Asaf. To have a child. Um, it's a hard question. I, I don't know. Why do you want something? Um, why do you feel so strongly about it? I, I'll tell you a story. Like when I came out, which was, you know, uh, I was 16, 17, I, I'm not, not sure. To my parents, I was 17. Um, my parents, they, they had a lot of gay friends, and it was quite an open sort of um, upbringing. But still, it took me quite a few years to, to, to tell them. But one of the first things my dad told me was like, it's a real shame that I'm not going to have grandkids. Oh. <laughs> and it's, I'm not saying that I'm, I, I did it to please my father. I don't think that's as easy as that. But I do think, for me personally, the point of life is, I don't know, one, one of the I don't know. Procreation. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard. Yeah. Why, why, why do I want something? I really don't know. It's easy for us now to say, okay, you know, it makes us a family, but I guess we were a family before that as well. So I don't, I don't really know. Yeah. It, it is very interesting. <laughs> the reason I asked the question is, um, uh, my previous relationship with, uh, my ex, we had a child together and uh, I came into the relationship. Actually, I met Stuart the day that he and a lesbian friend of his found out that they were pregnant. All and right. uh, so I wasn't there for the emotional lead up to it, uh, up to going into the process. But it's very interesting how some some individuals, as humans, we have that desire to procreate, to um, be a parent, to share life with not just with a, an individual, but share it with our families. You know, you, you talked about your 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 father, uh, and that was one of the things Stuart said too, was that um, both he and his brother were gay, and uh, he had uh, a sister who uh, she had children, but um, he wanted to have that same experience of having a child and uh, being a part of that larger family tree with his parents and thought that there's no reason, no boundary that says that I can't do that as a gay person. And uh, it's very nice, uh, I think, to give examples or share examples like your, you know, your own of the various ways that people are doing this. <laughs> so Sorry, my son just came in. That's okay. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> it's just kind of about him, isn't it? <laughs> Okay. All right. Sorry. It's okay. It's okay. I think it's interesting. Um, you know, I think everybody in life is looking for something to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And I think one of the 
the biggest ways, and probably going back to you know caveman time when we're looking to propagate the species, is one of the biggest ways to do that is to you know have offspring. Yeah. So I think it's, it's 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 an innate desire. I think those of us, me predominantly, um, who don't have the desire to have kids are are anomalies. Yeah. I think most most people in the human race are looking to to have a family, if at least one, if not more. Yeah. So I think it's probably an innate desire that you had, and um, your dad's comment probably you know helped feed that a little bit, but it sounds like you probably had that desire regardless. Yeah, and I try, I tried writing a book, but uh, it turns out I can't. Uh, <laughs> I'm uh, so I, I needed to leave something. You know? <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know. <laughs> That's good. I think one of the other things that's it, what I, I personally find is that every time I see a small child, um, you know, so especially maybe seven and younger, it just brings a smile to my face. I think that there's, you know, whether the child is being mischievous or is doing something that is joyous or fun or just being goofy, you know, it, it seems like children do bring a lot of joy into the world. And I think a lot of parents want to continue to bring that joy into the world. Yeah. Sure. I just want to dress them. <laughs> I think dressing them like dolls is cool. <laughs> what was yeah. uh, what uh, what made you go from decide, thinking about uh, adoption to deciding on surrogacy? Practicality, because uh, by then we were living in Israel, um, and adoption is. I understand that it's possible, but it's it's very complicated. Uh, I actually met a guy who did it, but it's very uncommon. Mm-hmm. Um, and here in Tel Aviv, the thing to do, well, you know, when we started exploring, surrogacy really became, I, I hesitate to use the word, but almost an industry. There's conference about it, conferences about it. There's quite a few agencies for, in, a, in a country where there's 7 million people, 8 million people, I don't know. Um, it seems to be booming, really booming. Um, whereas, you know, you don't hear a lot about adoption. Um, so that, that's one thing. Uh, in Europe, it's also, you know, depending on which country in Europe you are, uh, it's difficult uh, to adopt. Sometimes the country itself allows it, but then there's not enough uh, uh, countries where the, where the children come from that allow gay men to adopt the child. Or So it is notoriously difficult. Where In other countries, you have lots of uh, uh, children born in that country where, you, you know, you can adopt. But in Western Europe, there's hardly any children being put up for adoption. Mm. So most of the kids would have to come from, uh, from I don't know, third world countries. Uh, and some of them are very anti-gay, those, those countries as well. I don't know. We didn't, like, we didn't investigate further when, once we moved to Israel. Um, that, yeah. Interesting. Um, did, um, you decided to go with surrogacy. Did I, were either of you able to donate... Um, the sperm, or were both um, ingredients donated? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that process. <laughs> <laughs> the decision making, yeah. who was all involved? <laughs> uh, we were we were enormously blessed. Uh, my sister told us immediately, "If you guys want to have a kid, I can help. Um, I won't carry the child because I, I'm not doing the pregnancy. I, I would feel very different about the the child. But if I just have to donate eggs." I'm in, and she did, uh, which means that I sort of, you know, uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, provide the sperm, so to say. Sure. That right. would have been wrong. So uh, I stuff did, and uh, 
So that that's how we did it. Yeah. Nice. And then how did what was the surrogacy process like? How did you get that ball rolling and choosing um, a, a, a surrogate and, and all that? Okay. Uh, well, we didn't use a, an international agency, but we did use a, an agency in India which uh, uh, deals with surrogates over there. Mm-hmm. One of the requests that we had is to meet the surrogate beforehand. Uh, it's very, it was very uncommon. Nowadays, it's no longer possible for gay couples to do it in, in India. But back then, it wasn't co- common to ask uh, to meet the surrogate, to have a relationship with a surrogate. In India, it was... It's very distant. You know, there was a distance between the um, prospective parents and the uh, the surrogate mums. But yeah, we we did ask that agency in Mumbai to um, um, I don't know to, to, to if we could meet with a few of the women, mm-hmm. and we did. We selected one, um, and then we did the IVF here in Israel um, and flew over the uh, the embryos. So that's what we did. Wow. Gotcha. So now to the pulp, uh, the main point of all of this, how did you prepare financially to, to start this process? Right. We saved money for many, many years. Really? We, we, knew what, we knew what we wanted to do. Um, I, I, uh, I like spreadsheets. I'm a bit of a nerd. <laughs> so I, I, I had like uh, three different scenarios. Like if... If that would happen, then we'd have to move to scenario B, etc. So we did prepare. Um, we rented out our house. Uh, got some rental income from that uh, for three years in total. Unfortunately, because actually what saved us, I suppose, was the fact that the first uh, two pregnancies didn't work out. Mm. So the process, it took so long. By that time, we had actually saved enough money. <laughs> it's a bit of a risk for us, right. uh, I must admit, but we wanted it so badly. So yeah, we saved lots of money. My parents helped us a little bit, but uh, just just a tiny bit at the end. Um, and we got a personal loan. We got a personal loan for the IVF. Thankfully, the insurance, one of our insurance camp, health insurance companies, uh, paid for part of the uh, IVF in the end. So that money came back to us. Nice. So yeah, we just trying left, right, and center to get funds. Right. Uh, so you had your spreadsheet and you had your three scenarios, and I guess each scenario had its own price point. And so that's right. I guess the, the ultimate goal would, would probably be to save for the highest price point before you had the, the child, right? Um, and right. then whatever direction the scenario went, you were prepared. But then you also had some uh, a little bit of help from your family, um, and then it seemed that your um, health insurance covered some as well. Yeah, that, that was a big help, actually, the health insurance. It was unexpected. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't know going in that they would. Um, but then a little bird told us, you should try. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting because that means that uh, that you took advantage or looked at all of the potential options that were out there. Uh, you know, just thinking to uh, to someone who's listening, if you think about, if you're thinking about going through this process, one of the things that we want to encourage uh, is that you do take the time to look at all of the options that are out there. What can be a very stressful situation may be lessened by understanding what your options are out there. Right. And I think that just, again, if you're thinking about doing this, um, 
John and I would love to, to be a resource if you have any questions about how to prepare financially. Uh, feel free to leave a question for us either on Twitter at Debt Free Guys or on the, the uh, Debt Free Guys Facebook page. And we'll try to help out with uh, what we can give some financial guidance in this area. Absolutely. One of the things, Adrian, I'm going to go back to uh, what you were saying, though, is that this was, although a very emotional decision, was not a hasty emotional decision. You understood that there was some process that needed to be done and that you wouldn't be <laughs> you wouldn't be having a child nine months from now as many <laughs> straight couples plan if they plan or if it's an oopsie it's <laughs> you know nine months later there's a child and they they need to be right. prepared in nine months financially it, right. whether, well <laughs> they may not have a choice they don't have a choice they either are not prepared or they, they somehow become prepared financially so you took the time to think about the process how how to be prepared financially sure. right and i'm sure that probably helped in decision making absolutely uh actually the fact that we went to india um it was part of that process because you can do it elsewhere as well. We spoke to everyone everywhere. We spoke to uh, different providers in the United States, in Canada. Uh, there's people doing it in Mexico, everywhere. Uh, and, you know, we calculated. We, and it, it wasn't just a financial you know, decision at the end of the day. Uh, it was also a practical decision. Um, but, yeah, you know, we, we weighed in all those factors, all those prices that we got. So when you think about it from start to finish, from when you decided that you wanted to have a child when you two were still living in London to when you actually had one, how many years was that? That's like five years. Gotcha. Five and years. At what point in that five years did you do create your spreadsheet? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was uh, constantly, you know, constantly updating it, I suppose. I mean, I mean I'm saying there's three scenarios, but there were probably 20. <laughs> Right. Uh, all over all those years, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I just. I, uh, sorry. No. Go ahead. Uh, I just want to say because you said, of course, you you know, we're talking to a mainly I don't know queer audience. I'm I'm not quite sure, uh, but the vast vast majority of people who do this are, of course, straight couples. Mm -hmm. So it's just something to point out because when I was sitting at those IVF clinics, they also had to wait for all those years. I just, you know, right. maybe it's really politically correct of me to say, but they go through just this, uh, you know, the same mill, the same uh, troubles. Sure. So that does lead me to another question. Were there any nuances that were unique for you and ASF that maybe the straight couples didn't have to overcome? Other than maybe some countries... Not even giving you the option because you are gay. Well, there's that. Yeah, uh, actually, most of the the, the the issues are legal issues, mm -hmm. uh, and they and I don't think you know even my own parents don't quite get the. I, I almost wanted to use a bad word or the or the negativity that we get mm. uh, uh, in our lives by by having to deal with these legal issues that most people just take for granted. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it, it can really wear you down. Uh, from adoption matters to birth certificates, uh, issues with different countries in our case, because we, you know, we've lived in different places and we have to have different birth certificates for different countries. And, you know, there's, there's all oh. sorts. There's, I didn't and of course, know that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
yeah, there's all sorts of issues for gay men, mm-hmm. married gay men. Uh, I mean, we're married, but it's not recognized in places like India. So yeah, there are definitely loads and loads and loads of issues, definitely. Wow. That's, it is, uh, you know, one of the things that John and I were talking about when we were preparing for this and we were reading through some of the comments that uh, in the emails that were exchanged, it seems like there is an obstacle course of challenges and opportunities that you have to go through to, to create the family that you want. And uh, it's... I, we hope that things are getting easier, but it, it seems like there's a constant flux between, you know, the, you were, I think you were saying that uh, it, was, it was legal in India when you did it, but it's not legal in India now. So it's yeah, just because the, they don't, yeah. yeah, because they don't recognize gay marriage. Uh, you, can only, you can only do a, a, a surrogacy in India now uh, if you're married, and because they define marriage as between being being between a man and a woman, they don't recognize gay couples anymore. So that's it. And it happened the same in Nepal. It happened the same in Thailand. So one of the things I actually took away from that, uh, uh, even though we did it in India, which is still you know, a developing country, going forward, I would never take that risk anymore. Now, that's very personal. You know, people do it. They have financial decisions to make, things to weigh. Uh, but I don't want to take that risk personally again. Uh, seeing what happened in India after our son was born, I, I don't want to take that risk. Not anymore. Are there any um, risks now that they've changed their laws in India? Is there any? Do they apply anything retroactively, or is that not? No. no. That's good. Okay. And you made a comment that when you do go to different countries, you have to have different birth certificate in each country. Yeah, in many European countries, it is, uh, uh, it's against the law not to mention the mother on the birth certificate. Uh, and in Israel, the opposite is true. Uh, they, the lawyers here advise, don't put the mother's name on the birth certificate, for instance. So I'm not a lawyer, so I can't give you the exact details, but, but it is, you know, laws of two different countries can contradict each other. Sure. And it makes it very hard if you're an international couple. Right. right. I guess the same thing in that scenario would apply to a straight couple, although most, well, I guess not always true. I mean, if you adopt a child. I, I guess. Uh, I know in the United States, the expected mother, if it's a straight couple, can sometimes be on the birth certificate as far as I understood from people, but I don't hold me to that. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that you bring up this idea of, of needing to um, – to be aware of what's going on in various countries, especially if you're an international couple. One of the things that John and I just recently found out was that in the state of Florida, you can adopt as a single man. If you get married to another man, which is legal federally, and so as legal in Florida, as a gay couple, you cannot adopt. So it's kind of interesting that there's still... That still, like I said, the obstacle course of figuring out how to create your family may be something that you have to deal with when it, within one country. Right, 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 right. I don't think Florida is alone. I, what I understand in Israel, I think it's pretty much the same. I think a, a single gay man is can adopt, uh, and as a married couple, it's much more difficult. Right, right. Very f- interesting. So, in right. hindsight, um, what would you, what would you definitely duplicate again if you were to go the surrogacy route and what, what what mistakes would you try to avoid that our followers might be able to 
learn from? Um, for us, I mean, the emotional aspect was most important and it was successful. We had a bond with uh, the surrogate mum. And uh, to this day, uh, we have our own WhatsApp group. Um, so Sorry, say that again. WhatsApp. WhatsApp. Oh, gotcha. Okay. <laughs> He's a little bit older. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, so that's something I, I, I definitely want to emulate. Um, I, I think this time, because we are older, to, to use that, um, and because we already have a child, I think I would do less myself because we, we really needed to save money. So we did lots of the things ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think this time I would actually employ an agency. Gotcha. Um, but I'm, I'm, we're considering doing it in Canada, which is altruistic, uh, which uh, suits us very well, um, also ethically. Um, so yeah, there's different options, but the, definitely the, the bond with the, the, the surrogate mother is very important, and it's very important uh, for any child's future, any my child's future, I should say, uh, to maintain that contact. Sure. And why is that? Do you mind explaining that a little bit? I think every human being wants to know where they come from. Uh, that's my personal feeling. Um, and as much information as you can give, that, that's, that's good for the child. Uh, and we were, once again, we were blessed with my sister helping us out. So there is a family story there. Uh, and that's very nice. It's a very nice thing to have. Absolutely. So uh, you, you, came, you maintained this bond with the surrogate mother. How does the surrogate mother feel about the fact that she was carrying a child for a gay couple? Uh, she's a, a devout woman who's is very, it, at least she tells us, she's very happy to, to have helped us. And she constantly inquires after Tom and uh, wants to see photographs. It's an emotional process. And I think um, she carried our son for nine months. Of course, there are emotions involved. I don't think you should shy away from that. Right. Uh, I think it's a matter of dealing with it in a, in a sensitive way. Uh, but with an open heart, so to say. That's nice. I, that's, I think that is, a, is um, a great opportunity as your son grows to be able to know who that woman is because of the level of gratitude that he can express in his life for the fact that she did that you know, and to right, be able to, to really focus on that gratitude towards one individual and knowing that. You know, I think that's, uh, you're, you're right. I think we all have that innate desire to know uh, who we uh, who we came from, you know, and there's many people in the process for Tommy. Takes a whole village, exactly. Oh, well. <laughs> right. Exactly right. And could you, um, maybe I'm stupid, but can you explain a little bit what you mean by um, if you were to do surrogacy in Canada, that's altruistic? What does that mean right. exactly? Um, I, without saying anything about the United States. Uh, in India, there were excesses, and I think it was very good that the Indian government took some steps to regulate uh, surrogacy because of, of uh, cowboys going over there and uh, uh, exploit women. Very, very awful situation. Uh, they did it in completely the wrong way, in my opinion, but at least they did something. What I like in Canada is that it's, um, it's not considered a very commercial industry. It's very small scale. 
uh, I suppose it connects Canadian nature and uh, culture in general. Um, I, I feel all right with that. Mm. Also in the United States in some places, I'm not dissing that at all. It's, I don't know. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I don't uh, so know how big it is here. Sorry? I just said I don't quite know how big surrogacy is here. I know of people who have done it, but I don't know that it's, um, doesn't seem like it to me, in, in my opinion, it reaches um, industry levels. Yeah. I, I, what we have found uh, in some of our research, uh, we did some research for a podcast we were on with another organization. And one of the things that we did find is that it's extremely expensive uh, in the United States to go through the surrogacy sure. process, even with a surrogate mother here, um, easily running into six figures to, uh, because there are a lot of guidelines around what the individual needs to be paying for. And what one of the things that you had mentioned about India is it being turned into kind of almost a, a, a an industry and that individuals were being taken advantage of. Um, it seems like, although it is in some cases an industry here in the United States, the mother uh, or the surrogate, um, it's e very easy for the surrogate and the surrogate organizations to charge extremely high rates to go through the process. Yeah, and that's, you know, we're, we're seeing you know, that sometimes thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 for a, a woman to carry a child for nine months. So it right. can get yeah, very that's, expensive. That's, that's what I heard. I, I, many people tell me it can be between hundred dollars to $120,000 in the United States, the whole process, including IVF. Uh, but that, that, that depends entirely on which clinics you use, uh, which states you, you go to. Uh, whereas in Canada, uh, they talk about at least forty to $50,000 less for the whole process. Wow. So def definitely that, that's part of the picture. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So you said if you were to do it again, you would go through an agency. So my guess is that the first time around you chose not to use the agency because of the extra cost. Um, but that came Caution. with it then a bunch of extra um, stress on your part. Yeah, you could say that. It was very stressful. Yeah, it was very stressful. Of course, we had friends who went through the same process and helped us out a great deal. Like, go to this desk uh, in su southern Mumbai, and there's a guy there, and you know he will give you this, and then you have to go there. <laughs> So the logistics of it was uh, it was very complicated, uh, but we managed. Uh, but it was very very stressful. Uh, and one, once you have a child, you can't do all those things yourself anymore. I think. Right. So. Yeah. Right. Very cool. So um, you know, last piece of advice for our, our followers: uh, anybody who's thinking about surrogacy, either in the United States um, or if they were looking to consider um, international surrogacy, any any recommendations or takeaways? Um. Do your research, definitely. There are so many players in the market, uh, so many agencies. Speak to all of them. Now, I know in the big cities like New York and other places, they, they have regular conferences. Men Having Babies is one of them. Um, and, and that allows you the opportunity to speak to different agencies to hear former surrogate mothers uh, uh, and, you know, do workshops and all of that. So... Definitely do your research. There's lots of uh, resources online. Compare compare prices, but also uh, compare the emotional road that you have to take in different options. Uh, and don't underestimate that. Um, so, yeah. 
definitely. Is um, so men men having babies is an organization or is that a conference? As far as I understand, they organize conferences. It's an organization behind it, with the same name, I guess. I'm not not quite sure, but the conference is called Men Having Babies. Okay, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I didn't know, wasn't aware of that. Yeah. We'll have to look that in, look up, look that up. Cool. Yeah. Any um, closing questions or thoughts? No, I just would have to say, uh, Adrian, it's it's very nice to hear your story and uh, the work that you and Asif went through to bring uh, your son into your life. And it's I think it's inspiring uh, to hear that it was um, a, a process that was driven by a, a strong desire, a love to want to do that. And you know, it reminds me of, uh, I think it's Jim Rohn's quote, where it says, if you want something bad enough, uh, you, you'll you figure out a way to get it done. And, and, you know, that's obviously the case here. You, you just, you, you put your effort into it and, and did it. Uh, so again, to, uh, to individuals who are listening, if you want this, there's always a way to figure out, uh, how you can do this. Uh, and, uh, as you said, bring the whole world into it. It's not just the local village. You may be involving individuals, halfway around the world to make sure that you can uh, create the family that you want to create. Right. So, well, thank you, um, our followers and listeners, for um, paying uh, another Queer Money. Please don't forget to uh, subscribe or like this podcast. Uh, and we want to thank Adrian for his time. I know that it's um, it's later hours there for you in Israel. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> so um, thank you yeah. for um, staying up with us so late. We appreciate this. I'll have to say there are days I wish I had become a father. What about you? Do you want to be a mommy or a daddy? If so, these six tips will help you get there faster and be more prepared. 1. Not all countries recognize same-sex couples, and working within those borders exposes you to more risk. So be cautious. 2. Many countries have contradictory laws, so if you do plan to go across borders, make sure you investigate the differences. 3. You and your spouse or partner's emotions are important and shouldn't be denied. Be sure to talk it through thoroughly. 4. Hire professionals. Going at it alone only adds greater stress and risk. 5. Do your research and learn about all the players. Find out your unique advantages and disadvantages. And finally, 6. Plan emotionally and financially. As Adrian said, they planned and saved for 5 years while waiting for their son to arrive. Thank you again for supporting the show. We hope you found real value in the discussion. Okay, we just serviced you. Now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle newsletter at queer.money. Well, I'm not really gay. (laughs) (laughs) Would help me if I had a personal chef made all all my healthy meals for me. Right. So instead I'll have a Snickers tonight for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) The other end, I like the butts, so... From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.